Hello, audience. My name is Lisa Johnson, and this is my first podcast. Today is January 13th, 2019. I will be discussing different books and readings and passages from intellectuals. Today, I've chosen a book by Laura, I'm sorry, Gerda Lerner. A history and sociology book titled Black Women in White America, a documentary history, edited by Gerda Lerner. So I'm going to start with the preface today. And it starts off, until the very recent past, black people in America have been denied their history. The discovery of black history and its legitimization and acceptance into the body of American history is progressing at this very time and has already immensely enriched our knowledge of our national past. Black history is beginning to serve whites as an antidote to centuries of racist indoctrination by providing essential knowledge without which a more truly democratic non-racist society cannot be built. Black history is serving blacks in a somewhat different sense by arousing people, I'm sorry, by arousing pride in a legitimate past, enhancing self-respect, and providing heroes and leaders with whom black people can identify. Okay, so I am Lisa Johnson. That is the preface one paragraph of Black Women in White America, a documentary history by Gerda Lerner. So today I want to talk about, since this is my first paragraph reading, I want to discuss what history means to me and why I chose to read this book. Okay, so there were a lot of influential people in my life. And people I could connect with because um, my family was very, very happy, but they were not strong in some areas. They were a happy people. Um, We had togetherness. We lived together. My immediate family, my uncles, my grandmother, we all lived under one roof. Um, And we were a happy people, but I saw some weak areas where some people did not um, do as much as others. And some people weren't required to do as much as others. Um, For instance, some people didn't have a job, but we all lived together and we all provided and we all made a way and we all got through with what we had. So as I went on to school and got through high school, I met friends from hanging out. Not only did I attend church, but I also went to the club and I hung out with friends and I met a lot of people. And one of the young ladies I met was Nima Masakoy. Her mom was African, 
and it appeared that she came from Africa to work here in the United States. It didn't appear that she was born here. And she had a life where she was pretty successful and smart and middle class. And I saw that my mom was struggling to make ends meet. I saw that my mom only took the scraps and the donations she would receive from church. And she didn't aspire to do anything more. And I saw that maybe that was a flaw for her or maybe a, um, a handicap for her that was created by her parents. And I saw that also my mom was a very strong individual, a strong um, black woman. That's how I saw her. And she could have aspired to do more. She actually went to college, which inspired me to go to college. But she didn't have the time to finish, which it seemed like it was very hard for her to concentrate. Maybe she had slight ADHD or ADD. I'm not sure, but she definitely had problems with concentration. So I met... Nima Masakoy and just hanging out with the boys and meeting different people. And I also got a chance to meet um, Nima Masakoy's mom, Hannah Masakoy. And Hannah was a very uh, elegant woman, um, intellectual. I mean, not intellectual, but intelligent speaking and with grace and beauty. Darker skinned. And I kind of looked at her like, I kind of looked at her like the Felicia Rashads or on Bill Cosby. If you aspire to be like a doctor, you were trying to be like Hannah, you know, if you aspire to be a part of the middle class, you know, you aspire to be like Hannah. And, and that's just on the outside looking in. She didn't tell me a lot about her life. I just saw her lifestyle, her what she would wear and how they would live was different from the way that I lived. You know, I noticed that we didn't have the things that they had. Um, but she was very um, intelligent and had acquired these things. It seemed that way. And it didn't seem like she acquired it by prostitution, so she must have used her intellect. At any rate, I received this book from Nima Masakoy, and I believe she got it from her mom. I'm not sure. But I got this book from the Masakoys, Black Women in White America, a documentary history edited by Gerda Lerner. And growing up, I saw women like that throughout my life. I always gravitated towards all these different women and men who were very powerful personalities. Um, A lot of these women and men probably were Democrats. Um, And maybe a few were uh, Republicans. But I didn't know. And I aspired to be like them. I aspired to be middle class. I aspired to be intellectual, even though I wasn't very um, 
the smartest kid. I wasn't getting straight A's. I didn't discover how to master getting straight A's until I got into college. And even when I got into college, it was challenging for me. So I aspired to be like so many different courageous, elegant, um, prestigious women in entertainment and just in my community who I could gravitate to. I gravitated towards a lot of people because I felt that my mom was lacking and she was frustrated and angry a lot because maybe she was lacking something. Maybe she was lacking enough um, education. So this passage means a lot to me when you talk about black people in America have been denied their history because growing up I felt a disconnect from my history teacher I felt my history teacher did not connect with me at all and I felt the only thing that I learned that I could take away was who was Martin Luther King now it it really frustrated me to the point where even today I like tear up just thinking about it and so when I went to college, I gravitated towards kids who looked like they knew more than me. Kids who looked like appeared to be the smartest kids to be around. And a lot of the a lot of times those were the kids who were smoking weed or you know, they were doing poetry. They appeared to be intellectuals and I would read some crazy books with them and I would sometimes do my work with them and I learned and developed a studying pattern from them and I learned and developed how to be a hustler from them even like down to my friends selling fried hot dogs illegally on campus the Polish boy just to make ends meet just to make a dollar, just to make a couple of dollars to survive on campus. He couldn't survive. Like, he couldn't, I guess maybe he couldn't get the loan or whatever. So, I learned a lot from these people, just from their character and watching them. And then also from the history that they knew about and that they would talk about or the characters they would portray. I didn't watch a lot of television in college at all. Actually, I didn't even have a television. College was so stimulating to me, the the personalities and the events and the things I was involved in and just being on a campus where I could um, be with people that wanted more or at least they appeared to. Um, was very stimulating for me. So history was really, really important because in high school, I never felt that I got enough. For some reason, maybe I couldn't comprehend the way that they were teaching it. I just felt history was lacking so much that the only thing that I could think that I learned about in history class from the high schools that I attended the junior high schools that I attended was Martin Luther King. It annoyed me so much. 
I just said, if I hear about Martin Luther King one more time, I just, I just don't want to hear about Martin Luther King, even though he is a prolific figure in my in my history what would I do without him what would we do without Martin Luther King I just feel that I don't want to hear not another word about Martin Luther King is there any other king that we can talk about other than Martin Luther King you you mean to tell me that you know our history starts with Martin Luther King and it was just annoying it was tear-jerking and I was just upset. Um, so I got to college and I learned a little bit about slavery as much as I could grasp because also I had a deficiency with um, comprehension. But now I've learned to do more summarizing different things that I'm learning and reading. And I started to really enjoy the presentations of my teachers, like Dr. Cook, who um, started crying in a, you know, in a lesson and took us to the grave sites of the slaves. And that made me feel connected to the slave. It made me feel connected to him. It made me feel connection to what the text was about. And it made me pay attention a lot more and then when I went to Toro College in New York City I got a chance to sit underneath a 70 year old Jew who I figured what could he tell me about history that would interest me and of course this class is going to be boring and it was just the, the the topics that he talked about um and the uh his excitement about it was very, um, it stuck with me till today. And so we talked about the Roman period, the Roman times, and I just really enjoyed it. So now I'm taking a step forward to educate myself some more. It's like with history is sometimes I feel what do you trust, you know, because there's a million books and people could write a million books. So how do you know that what you're reading is true? And people argue about the history of religion and how, you know, we we serve these gods. And then we argue about these gods and we and we argue about what religion is the right religion. And then that's all a part of history. How do you know what religion is the right religion if you don't know? history but I feel that every person has the right to choose what's right for them whatever feels good in your heart you know whatever character or what God you can connect to and the God I connect to is you know a positive peaceful God a loving God And a God who is not judging me for every little nick and cranny. Um, A God that I could probably identify with um, spiritually and physically. So today, being denied history, this black people in America have been denied their history 
resonates so well for me in my heart because I felt like slighted by my historians in my high schools and which are supposed to create the foundation of what I'm supposed to know as as a human being wherever I go in society you know the sentence about black history is serving blacks in a somewhat different sense by arousing people pride in a legitimate past enhancing self-respect and providing heroes and leaders with whom black people can identify okay what that means for me is that we're like a walking history book each day you're a walking history book and what are you teaching other people to know about you what are you teaching about your character your your movements and how you achieve success is your history book and I identify with Hannah you know I wanted to be like Hannah Hannah lived in a suburban area with the white folks and she was able to articulate what she needed she was able to communicate with these people she was able to work with these people she was able to serve on community boards these people respected her um, by her conversations and her worth and her intellect and what she put into her community. She was not a perfect person. And what I see is I have learned and gravitated towards people that I like their story. So the story is really, really, really important. What is the story? The good, the bad, the ugly. And what is my story? You know, it's a history, a talking history book. And I want to continue to learn more about heroes and leaders who I can identify with. Who will help me to enhance my self-respect. Oftentimes we get upset about... Some of the images that we see in our media. Who is we? Who am I talking about? I'm talking about intellects. I'm talking about college students. I'm talking about people who read books or didn't finish college, but you are aware of history. I'm not all the way aware with a lot of history, although I am um, a people watcher. So I watch so many different people that I am gravitating towards everybody's story. So I'm getting the history as, as, as we go along in life. And I need these people to identify with, to enhance self-respect. So I know for sure the, the students that I'm teaching need people to identify with to enhance self-respect i make jokes like this year i made jokes and i was running around with two chains on my neck and i love the rapper two chains he's comical and he's um he's definitely probably like r-rated you know some of the stuff that he speaks about sexual explicit stuff or um it's not for kids but 
It's entertaining. It's a part of history. I feel that we definitely need a balance in our country, you know, compared to the intellectuals. I feel like even with Nas, the rapper who's like the free thinker of hip hop, one of the most prominent and highly respected intellectuals, doesn't always get his doesn't always get his accolades but they're all telling a story all these rappers are telling a story they're telling stories about what's going on in the hood and I've always felt like I know what's going on in the hood because I'm teaching in the hood I'm from the hood why do I have to keep you know, putting myself in the hood. Now I want to aspire to be Hannah. I want to aspire to be Hannah. How do I get out of the hood and just live a life of peace? That's all. Peace. And so I'm looking at these characters so that I could aspire to get there. And even though the media keeps feeding me you a hoe, you a hoe, you a hoe. And I'm like, but I'm aspiring to be Hannah. You know, even though my mom didn't teach me anything about sex or what to do, her life was the only testament and she did the best that she could do. I feel that the media um, puts you in a place where you're supposed to gravitate towards the wrong characters. And so a lot of people are acting. Some people don't really live that lifestyle. They're just acting, protect, acting. And so it's cool, you know, um, now that I see that and I actually got a chance to work in film coming from the hood, the ghetto, and um. And I got a chance to work in film and see that it's not real. People actually say cut and let's do it again. And, you know, we portray these images on in media. I can only hope that the, chi- the children in the future will read a book and actually interpret these writings of writers and what they're saying and also pay attention to the movies I mean when I see today I watched Boys in the Hood and when I watched Boys in the Hood from the California experience experience and perspective I definitely felt like well that's that's just Boys in the Hood in Ohio too almost you know that's what we are that's what our some of our life is about some people somebody didn't make it to college somebody didn't make it to the party somebody got pregnant before going to college somebody got drafted into the NFL you know and somebody didn't somebody got hooked on drugs and had their kids out in the street you know that's stuff that I can identify with it's very important because 
We're constantly looking at these images and trying to decide who do we want to be. And I go into the classroom and act a fool sometimes because it is so imperative that these students look at me, pay attention to me. And sometimes they pay attention and sometimes they don't. Now, I can be mean and and be uh, stern and get their attention and maybe it'll work. Or I can be a lovable character and maybe someone will aspire to be me. Or I can be neutral and balanced as best as I can. And some will aspire to me and some won't. Some will aspire to be like me and some will not. But history is a very important thing. Even when, like to not now, I'm teaching second grade early childhood and they gave me a history book without all the components and I'm like now I gotta go and search around for the curriculum so I have these workbooks without a manual to tell me where to go so now it's almost as if who wants to write a curriculum in the middle of the year I mean, yeah, I could kind of like piece something together. So what I'll probably do is even my songs are now becoming historic. And my songs are well written by not only me, but working class individuals. They may not be the college student, but they're very highly intellectuals. And or they're smarter than me in some other area. And and a lot of it to me, I can almost use for my for my um for my daily routines and my curriculums and stuff like that. So I don't think I would as- would have aspired to be as great as I am if it wasn't for those people and watching their stories and that's why history is so important and that's why I cried when I did not get enough history. So I'm going to go back to the book. American women have also been denied their history, but this denial has not yet been as widely recognized. History in the past, largely written by white male historians, has simply failed to ask those questions which would elicit information about the female contribution. The female point of view, women as a group, have been denied knowledge of their legitimate past and have been profoundly affected individually by having to see the world through male eyes. Seeing women cast only in subordinate and inferior positions throughout history and seldom, if ever, learning about female heroines or women of achievement. American girls are conditioned to limit their own life goals and esteem. Black women have been doubly victimized by scholarly neglect and racist assumptions. Belongings, belonging as they do to two groups which have traditionally been treated as inferiors by American society, blacks and women. They have been doubly invisible. I don't think that we've been totally invisible. I am very... 
uh, aware of women that I can connect with in the African-American community as performing artists. I can connect with Halle Berry. Am I Halle Berry? No. But I could connect with uh, parts of her history. Um, I can connect with Jada Pickett. Am I Jada Pickett? No. But I could connect with the ideas and the characters that she portrayed. Um, I could connect with and identify with people like Oprah Winfrey, who just want a peaceful conversation and sit down with all different types of intellects. I can identify with that because that's who I am at times when I just want to talk it out and be peaceful and see what America is missing, what African-American women are missing, what white women are missing. And I see us in history. It is a sad sometimes occasion to see us in in history I see us in media and sometimes a lot of times I don't like it um I don't understand it but the more and more that I dive into uh media I'm understanding more and more little by little you know as I pay attention but I read the preface so I will continually try to read each week and give my perspective on what I think this book is teaching me and how it relates to my life. You have the right to respond to any of my podcasts negatively or positively. Or you can teach me something if you have the if you have the um, if you have the courage to teach me something, you know, feel free to respond as soon as you can. But I will be reviewing this book over the over this year if I, when I have time. And I will try to put a new podcast on either weekly or bi-weekly. I haven't really decided yet, but so far this is my first podcast this year, January 13th, 2019. I am Lisa T. Johnson, and today I discuss Black Women in White America. A documentary history edited by Gerder Lerner. I just discussed the preface only. So listen and I would gladly like feedback. So today I go back to the book. Black Women in White America, a documentary history edited by Gerda Lerner. Last week, I spoke about the person who gave me this book, which was the Massacoys. The mother, Massacoy, had a tremendous 
effect on me and her culture and how she carried herself. It wasn't because my mother was not a good person. And sometimes I spoke about how she was um, angry or sad at times. I just noticed that there was a big difference in having education and not having education and depending on the church for resources. Um, so I was I received this book from the Mother Masakoy and I liked her disposition. I liked the way she carried herself, even though she was a little bit uppity, well-to-do. Um, I took pieces from her personality, pieces from my mom's personality, pieces from everybody's you know, point of view, all these characters that I saw in my community and or that were outside of my community that were in a different house or a different um, type of community. I did not grow up in a suburban community. So um, I got this book from her. And even though, you know, rest in peace, Mother Masakoy, um, sometimes you see such beauty in people that other people don't see because even though I don't need all the money like you don't need all the money to raise a child but you do need all the money to raise a child you do need finances and things to take care of a child but uh, money is not the only thing that you need you need love and so sometimes you see things in people that other people don't see in them so I might appreciate some things in my parents like some kids had parents who were sexually abusive and so they may say well it's okay for me to have a parent who was verbally abusive and not really see the 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 ramifications or the uh, down pit and downfall of having a parent that's verbally abusive so yeah I appreciated something in Massacoy but I also appreciated things in my own mom so today I want to continue with the book about slavery, um, black women in white America, a documentary history edited by Gerda Lerner. Now, who was Gerda Lerner? She is actually, she wasn't an Australian born American historian and author. In addition to her numerous scholarly publications, she wrote poetry, fiction, theater pieces, screenplays, and auto and an autobiography. She served as president of the Organization of American Historians in 1980 through 81. She was born April 30th, 1920 in Vienna, Australia. So that's interesting. She was born on the same day as my grandmother, Gerda Lerner, American historian, Australian historian of European white descent. So I'm going to start today with a quotation, um, a quote from the book that I'm going to briefly talk about. And I also want to discuss um, uh, a person, prolific figure that has inspired me um, throughout my life in the Cleveland community, Cleveland, Ohio community, even though I, I am a resident of New York City at this time, and I have been for several years. So that will be the gist of what I'm going to talk about today. Slavery from the Black Women in the White America, a documented history, and um, a prolific figure that has inspired me 
in the history of black America. Okay. Chapter one, slavery. The plantation slave system formed a separate and distinct culture which bound both master and slave in a complex and interdependent relationship. Although the race prejudices of whites, which antedated the institutionalization of slavery, shaped the system's form and character, its object was not genocide. Okay, I really like that um, opening to chapter one because from her perspective, you know, slavery was not... um, was not orchestrated to create genocide. It was cre- it was created as a system to be interdependent relationship, meaning we depend on each other for work and for resources. So it wasn't created as a genocide. And that's very interesting because In America, we constantly talk about how certain neighborhoods, you have just continuously black-on-black crime and all of these things are transpired because we don't have enough resources and because of the people who are in higher higher position don't want us to have enough resources and we work and constantly give to this community that doesn't give back to us and and then it creates a genocide within our communities it's very interesting that she started with shape the system's form and character its object was not genocide its object was not genocide i'm sure there's a lot of people who would disagree with that statement but this is what she started with American slavery was above all a labor system designed to extract the maximum amount the maximum amount of profit from unwilling and dependent subjects Hmm. in practice the production process and the objects of the system set some limits to its arbitrariness and cruelty Self-interest of the master in the preservation of his property generally dictated the maintenance of minimum standards designed for survival of the slave, but it was the barest survival under the harshest conditions. On the other hand, the deeply ingrained racism of American culture, which designated blacks not only as enslaved people, but as inherently inferior because of their race tended to be tended to worsen the conditions of American slaves as the system advanced in time the mutually reinforcing interplay of racism and economic motivation made the slave system increasingly oppressive so what this means to me is this system that was created was created for supply and demand and you needed to be able to 
make uh, a operation where people could help you get out your supplies or produce what you need to produce. And in return, we or the people or the slaves had to depend on you for resources. It was not about genocide. Um, but it was for the depend depending on you. It was for depending on you. American slaves, as the system advanced in time, it worsens the conditions. The conditions worsened as the system advanced. Mutually reinforcing interplay of racism and economic motivation. So it was motivated by money. It's all about money. Money, 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 money. And it's about money. So we produce. And if you can help us produce, then you're helping us to make money. And as time went on and as it actually advanced the cruelty became increasingly oppressive slave system increasingly oppressive Hmm. so what I see in a system of cruelty and oppressive um, system is to gravitate towards stories the story who has the story i gravitate towards who helps me get inspired this greatness this genius who helps me get inspired every day i write to god what i'm thankful for um every day i thank god for my intelligence i thank god for my talent i try to thank god for my talent every day my greatness, who I am, is not dependent upon how much money I have. I've never been inspired by, I have for a long time have not been inspired by just money. Recently, I have decided, and now that I am going through financial hardship, that I do have to be more conscious of finances and producing. And it's all about being productive in my classroom now I'm bouncing from class to class and it's about it's more about hmm having fun but it was about having fun also in my class and producing in my class now it's about working one-on-one to help students who are struggling really, really, really bad. So if you're struggling, and how will you make it off the plantation if you cannot read? How will you make it off the plantation if you cannot read and you are not inspired? If I inspire you, you could possibly make it off the plantation or you could possibly be a manager on the plantation. You could possibly be a doctor on the plantation. You could possibly be the greatest performer there is on the plantation. 
But if you cannot read, it would be hard for you to make it off the plantation. When I think about brilliance, brilliant, what does brilliant mean? Last week, I used that word. I used the word. No, I didn't use the I used the word daily now about being a brilliant mind. I just want to thank God for brilliance. At times, I feel, even if I'm not brilliant, that I should tell myself I am. Because I need a certain amount of confidence in order to give to the children that are in the community. So if I tell myself daily that I am brilliant, then on the plantation of the school system, I can depart that brilliance to other children. When I talk about my accolades or the things that I've achieved and the things that I have not achieved, or I talk about the great person that I am, it is not because I am trying to be arrogant or um, or arrogant or boastful. It is only because I think that I have created a higher self and I talk to myself from God's perspective by saying, you know, dear God, thank you for da 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 thank you for my brilliance thank you for these things i need to say these things daily for hope and confidence to get through my week with all the things that god has told me to do i'm doing and talking from what god told me to do the god that i serve the god that you serve may not like what i'm talking about But the God that I serve is talking about these people, slavery, massacre, who gave me this book, and people like Gerda Lerner. This is the God that I serve. Now, I might not serve the same God you serve. And we may not talk about the same people, but I do see brilliance in maximum amount a lot of people a lot of people because there is no way that I could be who I am as happy as I am when I say that I'm a successful person I'm successful because I'm happy I'm successful because um I'm able to help children daily something that I liked to do even though I may not want to do it forever Um, I'm successful because I got a chance to put out one song that I own the master recordings for. Even if I owe people for other songs. You know, I try to be an upstanding individual and I, I have plans to pay. And the only, I was thinking today, the only people that I owe money to is the student loan people. I really don't owe a lot of people money. Just student loans. And I do have a couple of credit cards. But I I pride myself on, okay, yeah, I had a boyfriend. And 
he gave me a few things, but I wasn't always in his pocket and I wasn't always asking for something. So my pride and my foundation is built on, I just want to be the best me that I can be. That's all it is. It's not built on, I need to find me this dude who can take care of me. And sometimes I wish that I was a little more like that girl that only depended on her physical looks and she just needed someone to take care of her. I think sometimes I wouldn't have so many problems if if I had a little bit of that. But because I saw such a struggle, economic struggle, sometimes the lights were off. Sometimes mom couldn't pay her water bill. Sometimes dad was not there. Saw dad as a bum on the street. And... When I saw such inhumane uh, lifestyles from the people that I loved, from human beings who looked like me, Indian, Black, African, Spanish, who looked like me. And you see them in such inhumane situations. It compelled me forward to be the best person I can be. That's that's all I was trying to do and do what God put inside me. The God that I serve put this inside me. Okay, I wanted to talk about it. I don't have to talk about it all the time, but this is what the God that I serve put inside me to talk about. The next person that I want to talk about for uh, this segment is Donald King. Donald King, born August 20th, 1931, is an American boxing promoter known for his involvement in historic boxing matchups. He has been a controversial figure partly due to a manslaughter conviction, later pardoned, and civil cases against him. King's career highlights include, among multiple other enterprises, promoting the Rumble in the Jungle and the Thriller in Manila. King has promoted some of the most prominent names in boxing, including Muhammad Ali, Joe Frazier, George Foreman, Larry Holmes, Mike Tyson, Evander Holyfield, Holyfield, Julio Cesar Chavez, Ricardo Mayorga, Andrew Galota, Bernard Hopkins, Felix Trinidad, Roy Jones Jr., and Marco Antonio Barrera. Some of these boxers sued him for allegedly defrauding them. Most of the lawsuits were settled out of court. King has been charged with killing two people in incidents 13 years apart. In 1954, King shot a man in the back after spotting him trying to rob one of King's gambling houses. This incident was ruled a justifiable homicide. In 1967, King was convicted of non-negligent manslaughter for stomping one of his employees to death. 
For this, he served three years and 11 months in prison. In 1983, he was pardoned by Ohio Governor James A. Rhodes. King was born in Cleveland, Ohio, where he attended school and graduated from John Adams High School in 1951. After dropping out of Kent State University, he ran an illegal bookmaking operation out of the basement of a record store on Kinsman Road and was charged with killing two men in in incidents 13 years apart. They said that three times already. The first was determined to be justifiable homicide after it was found that King shot H. Brown in the back and killed him while he was attempting to rob one of King's gambling houses in 1954. In 1967, King was convicted of second-degree murder for the second killing after he was found guilty of stomping to death an employee, Sam Garrett, who owed him $600. King was pardoned in 1983 by Ohio Governor Jim Rhodes with letters from Jesse Jackson, Coretta Scott King, George Voinovich, Art Modell, and Gabe Paul, among others, being written in support of King. King entered the boxing world after convincing Muhammad Ali to box in a charity exhibition for a local hospital in Cleveland with the help of singer Lloyd Price. Okay, why is Don King so important to me? Why is Don King so important to me? All right, so I've been in New York City for many years, but I grew up as a child in Cleveland, Ohio. And I heard my grandmother, who was a working class individual, She did not have a lot. We lived in the hood, which is one one of the streets that we lived on is Kinsman, where Don King actually, it it says in his bio that uh, he did something over there in Kinsman. Kinsman Road, okay. He did an illegal booking making operation out of the basement of record store on Kinsman Road. Okay, I grew up on Kinsman Road. So even though I didn't know that Don King grew up on Kinsman Road, who can I identify? I can't identify with a dead man, Martin Luther King. I love Martin Luther King. I love, I have a dream. But who can I identify with that is more like me? I didn't grow up in Tuskegee, Alabama, although I love talking about Martin Luther King and his birthday is tomorrow. Thank God for Martin. Thank God Martin, his God he was talking to, told him to go out and speak to the people in public. And in the privacy of my home, I'm speaking to whomever wants to hear me because this is what the God I serve wants me to talk about. So this is the person that I identify with, my hair. I give homage to his crazy hair, um, Don King, because my hair is like that. 
I grad I didn't graduate from John Adams High School, but I remember attending John Adams High School and the year of my graduation, the year before I graduated, they closed it down. And uh, it's reopened again. So John Adams, he's an alma mater of my high school. And I didn't even know that. I didn't even know that he attended John Adams. And in John, John Adams is the most uh, uh, nicer homes than the homes that, that uh, in, in the area of where I grew up. But it's still the urban community. You're tired of the urban community? Okay, the ghetto. It's still the hood. It's still the city. Or whatever. I can identify with Don King because my grandmother would talk about him. Um, we, our family as a whole, we often watch the fights when we could. Um, and being bullied as a as a teenager in high school and, and elementary school, sometimes I just didn't like to fight. Um, but I saw my family, especially on my father's side, as fighters, natural fighters. Um, some of them were in jail. Uh, I can remember my aunt being courageous enough to walk down the street with tons of people following her. So as I would um, go back and forth between New York City and Cleveland, Ohio, all I was thinking was, how do I... Uh, turn my family into their greatest self. You know, we are lacking money. You know, we're struggling and asking one another for things. Um, you know, when the water is cut off, you're asking the same people in the family. When we all have a collective talent. I mean, there's a girl in my family who's autistic. And she says that she wants to be um, a baker one day. And so something like that, if I had the money, I would help, you know, create that, that possibility for her if that's what she wanted to do or help her to go to school. So all I, all I was thinking was, how do I, how do I um, you know, follow someone and create an avenue for the people in my family? And when I think of him being a promoter, it's almost similar to being a promoter. And, and, and then when I found out and read more of his biography, he actually promoted concerts too. But my first um, mention of Don King was probably, one of my first mentions of, of Don King was probably from a police cop in Cleveland, Ohio. He was a contributor over a chorus that I was in. I basically was in a little kid's choir when I was a kid, a teenager, and he was the contributor. He was the money, the person with a little bit of money to help us to practice and do our little community service through performing. And he did that with one of my teachers from John Adams High School. And the teacher, he was one of my chorus teachers. And I actually actually went to his church sometimes. And I started singing. And then I did the community choir with him. And this police officer was there. 
So I heard him talk about, the police officer talked about, I learned a little bit about how they promoted things and, and what I need to do if I want to promote something. Like when I give a concert, I need to put a local artist up and that will help sell my concert. So all of that was in my mind. In addition to that, when I found out some of the kids in my family were natural fighters and looking at how my aunt was a natural fighter and she was extremely courageous, you know, after being the baby of like 15 kids by my grandmother one on, on my father's side, she was extremely courageous and she kind of instilled in me not to back down and be bullied. I saw myself like a Don King trying to be the promoter, trying to promote the concert of my own. As a singer, I had to step in a whole different realm of trying to create a business to promote myself and my family to get us out of the hood. I don't know if I'll ever achieve that dream, but I do know that the God that I serve has blessed me with the ability to speak. He's blessed me with the ability to read and now comprehend what I'm reading in passages. And even when things are hard for me, and even when it's hard for me to understand, I go back and read and look for the vocabulary words to help me to understand. God has blessed me with the ability to have talent. The God that I serve blessed me with the ability to write songs. And I'm not boastful or bragging about that. But Don King is a prolific figure that I heard about from my grandmother that I felt was the closest thing to what living in my community was like. Um, And I felt that he's the closest celebrity figure that I can identify with that would understand something about entertainment business and what it's like to be from Cleveland, Ohio. Not from the suburbs, but from the hood. I learned that You know, he had a working class uh, mom. You know, not everybody has a mom that works for the church or that is a community helper. And uh, I think his 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 father died, and then he moved to another neighborhood. So I didn't really know exactly what Mr. Don King went through. I just knew pieces of his history and I knew pieces of his story that made me say he could probably identify with me growing up from Cleveland, Ohio and not knowing everything about corporate America, number one, and not also being um, accepted just the way that I am. I don't know all the ins and outs or the the way 
the proper ways that women and men are supposed to conjugate or carry themselves in corporate America. But I have survived with what I do know, and I have survived with what I do have. And when I talk about brilliance, I mean being able to get out the brilliant ideas that God has given you. The God that you serve, whatever God you serve, if it's money, if it's, you know, some human being, or if it's Buddha, or if it's Mother Teresa, whatever God you serve who put it in you to get out your brilliance. Everybody might have brilliance in them, and everybody may not. I mean, yeah, some people may, and some people may not. And so he's a person that influenced me, and I heard about his promotion skills, and and then I witnessed it as a child, his his fighters that inspired me and so uh, collectively his lifestyle my family being a music uh producer and singer all collectively made me think wow you know don king you know the person who's trying to promote the fighters the person who's trying to get the concert together though you know all of that in one and I am a teacher and I know that as much fun as I have I have to start to think about myself more and not my family so much because I've done that for many 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 years and I think People sometimes look at, well, if you're not as rich as I am, how can you say you're successful? And I guess, I guess success means something different to me. I guess, you know, for many years, success meant that I could teach a kid how to read and they would actually improve their literacy skills. And if I can improve someone's literacy skills, then I can give them an opportunity to become a greater self or their best self and so I equated success that way and I think now talking on my um, podcast helps me to understand what I need to do to change that like how do I you know what maybe I need a new goal to strive towards that my goal is too small, that I am a brilliant mind. And if if I am a brilliant mind, then I need to show it that, that just teaching kids how to read is not, that's not just a big deal. You know, God is, is so amazing because the God that I serve, that one little small goal is still... It still may not be enough. It's still, yep, it's still not enough. Because he has given me so much talent. He has given me so much talent. And so the little, like, literacy is just, like, the basis of what, um, what part of, I'm, part I'm supposed to play in society. 
And it started off with me coming to New York City to be the best person that I could be, to be a celebrity, to be, you know, um, famous. But 9-11 happened, things happened, and I winded up becoming an educator. I don't regret it. I think it helped to um, cultivate my intelligence. I help. I think it helped to cultivate my brilliance, and I don't regret it. So I gravitated towards Don King because of the fighters in my family, because my grandmother, her name is Allie. And I like Ali. And, you know, even though I've practiced Christian, um, Christian uh, culture, you know, I listen sometimes to Islamic, uh, I listen sometimes to Islamic people. And I call, I talk to them and I, you know, I've worked with them or I've, created businesses with them or I've done something for them or they've done something for me so that's all I have for today about my podcast and slavery signing off